male sexuality is pulled between two extremes. As a guy, you can optimize for gender dimorphism. So you are assuring that the thing you're breeding with is female. So this is larger butts, larger breasts, larger fingernails, longer hair, more voluptuous shape, or you can be optimizing for fertility window. The problem is, is that you're actually typically optimizing for the opposite when you're optimizing for fertility window. You are optimizing for youth, which means you're typically optimizing for smaller breasts, smaller butt, smaller waist hip ratio and stuff like that. And so we looked at the data on this, and this is one really shocking thing that we found is that the amount of wealth a guy had in our data set correlated with which of these extremes he seemed to optimize for. Would you like to know more? Hello, Simone. Hello, Malcolm. This is an edited recording. We had originally recorded an episode on this topic, and I decided I wanted to sanitize it as much as possible because I feel that this is a topic that really, really needs to be talked about in a sane way, hmm. but that is incredibly controversial. And so we don't want to step on any toes with this or make any potentially false or spurious accusations with this. Specifically, what we want to talk about is with this recent movie that's come out, there's been a lot of people being like, the concept of circles within sort of the wealthy class that traffic in underage women is, is a complete fantasy. It's a complete fictional thing. And I do think a lot of this stuff is, is you know, sort of conspiracy theories that have, have gone a little crazy. However, what we learned from the Epstein case is that it's, it's not a complete fantasy. Like there was at least one real circle in which this was happening. And the, the reason I want to talk about this is how could this happen? In my adult life, I do not meet many people who like to see themselves as bad people. Most people want to see themselves as good people who are trying to make the world a better place. So how did giant networks of some of the wealthiest people in the world get roped into something like this? And I think we can look at this as an isolated case, but I really don't think it is. There's been a lot of people freaking out about a specific campaign manager having potentially artwork that looks like kids are being hurt in it, in the artwork. Now, there is actually no proof that this artwork, that he owns it, that he has it in his house. But what no one is really denying is that the artwork itself exists and is real and is in museums sometimes or is on big displays that people are funding, that people are paying a lot of money for this artwork. Well, it shows up in ad campaigns. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, like like the the that the artwork exists is and so this is what we mean by sort of this place is is people can tie something like they can be like this guy owns this artwork right and then they go in a whole rabbit hole with that and then the other side can be like well no actually he's not the one who owns the artwork and there's not like this third group that's saying okay but even if he's not why does this artwork exist and why is it being shown in like art museums and stuff like that? Like it seems to be that a certain class of people within our society, the, 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 the group of people or one cultural group within our society that goes to things like art museums doesn't have an extreme resistance to this sort of depiction. 
if you were to hang one of these pieces in in like a Bass Pro store or like a traditional black barber shop or like our local Indian marketplace, you would be beaten near to death, like immediately. <laughs> like the, no, most cultural groups in America just would have zero tolerance of this. Yeah. And yet within sort of, I guess I call them the art museum class in our society, mm. there is a level of tolerance to this. And I think another place you saw this, there was the recent scandal was the, the clothing brand, right? Where they had some- We can name it with Balenciaga. Well, are you sure we can name it? Yeah. I've been trying not to name anything. Okay, with Balenciaga. Now, the, the thing to remember is who is Balenciaga's client base, right? Like they are sort of- an elite cultural group within our society, the people who are creating this ad campaign are literally the world experts in what this demographic within society considers okay, what they want, what their needs are, what will catch on within their cultural group. It's not like this, this campaign was created by some like random wacko, you know, the marketing department at Balenciaga is literally the world specialist at how do we appeal to, I guess what I would call the art museum cultural group, right? And clearly like this, it's not like these campaigns were like the work of one person. Like they got multiple levels of approval, right? So the, they thought that this would appeal to that cultural group. And so the question is, and where we wanted to go into all this is, without making any very like specific accusations here, is that there appears to be an elite cultural group in our society that has much more tolerance for this sort of thing than any other cultural group in our society. And when I go out in the world and like I meet normal people, people who are interested in, in, in people who present physically like really young, that's just not that common. That's not like a common thing in the normal world. So why is it so common among the ultra wealthy in our society? Like that, that, that's a question that I think everybody recognizes is like weird that it's happening. But the only two ways we have for engaging with this question is either just, you know, wild conspiratorial speculation or saying that even asking this question is conspiratorial. And mm -hmm. we want to try to approach this from a more even-keeled perspective. Right, Maybe. because we've talked about this in other episodes, the essentially like dog-whistling effect that you can get with a culture. Let's say you're Mormon and you can tell that someone else is a Mormon when others can't because you can kind of see, oh, they're definitely wearing garments or something. It makes you feel really good and it makes you feel a lot closer to them. So is perhaps all of this really blatant Lolita stuff that kind of signaling? Is that what you're thinking? Well, I mean, so this is what's interesting. So I think historically, if you look at conservative power groups in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there were a lot of gay organizations within the conservative power circles. Mm. And I think that, and I, I say this because I have tangential connections to secret societies that were definitely disproportionately gay and conservative power brokers back in the day. Like Simone and I have unique access into the world of secret societies due to like our jobs and our backgrounds. And I can say that at least historically, that was definitely true. So what well, was it? Gay is very different from well, one gay today. I'm talking about gay in the sixties and seventies. I'm talking about the way it was perceived by society. Deviant oh. sexual expressions, especially on the conservative side, uh -huh. might be a way 
that organically groups begin to bond oh. if they are in elite power centers in society. Now, hold on. So uh, what are you signaling that like kind of to get into a gang, for example, you might need to commit a pretty serious crime? Is this kind of something similar, like it, so that you have dirt on this person and that they're in your group, but also if they leave your group, you can destroy them because you know that they've done something that's career ending? For gangs, right, right. I, they're I, being sent to jail for this. completely organic. Uh-huh. Okay, so suppose you have a group of up-and-coming people, and we're, we're going to use the, the gay example because we're talking like 1960s, 1970s conservative gay groups, right? Okay. So any of, a, 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 let's say there's a small group of, of, of gay people in this movement, right? Okay, okay. Just lar large up-and-coming group of, of, of rising conservative thought. And a small group that's actually really gay. Yeah, like yeah. Actually, yeah. Okay. okay, so they all start just organically engaging with each other, right? Okay. So they all find out who all the other people are in this group. Okay. Well, they're doing this just for their own personal pleasure to start, but then it becomes clear. Somebody walks in your office looking for a promotion or something like that, and they're part of this group, and you're part of this group. Well, well shit, I better give them a promotion because they have dirt on me, right? Mm -mm. But also we have this sign of camaraderie. So let's not even put them in a situation where they would need to use this dirt on me, right? So essentially you get a system where organically everyone was this mutually assured destruction on each other has a slight like 20 to 30% advantage in every sort of interaction where somebody else in that group is involved which leads to the entire group rising really quickly in the ranks. So it's not like at any point anybody decided to do something malicious, right? Because what I'm trying to ask is realistically, how in this world did networks of elite, like huh. that seems insane to me that that happened. How did that happen? This is what I'm thinking here, because I, I guess you could say, oh, Satan worshipers or whatever, and they all went into this intentionally to hurt people. I don't know. There's a, in my adult life i just don't run into that many people who genuinely like hurting other people Most yeah or who genuinely nobody we've we've come across people who are, could probably we wouldn't know but i think it's plausible especially from our research into sexuality that they're they're aroused by um it, what should i say younger phenotypes but Most i've never come across someone who's yeah i'm a satanist i've never come across someone who is a satanist I, they I do exist, the but here I'll tell you why you haven't come across a Satanist, though, okay. actually. Okay, why? Because I have seen them in the data. Like, you, you see, clearly, some progressive elites are actual, they wouldn't call themselves Satanists. They call themselves, like, I don't know, they have Spiritual. some word for it, right? Where it's like a type of Wiccanism that's, like, edgy and cool. It's because you and I are publicly known as, even back in the day when we were more invited to, like, elite progressive events, as really hating woo. Oh. Um, and the Satanist groups are the groups that are most connected with like goop and like other woo like stuff mm. because they're involved in it because it's edgy. They're not involved in it because like they think they're being evil. They're involved in it because they're trying to be subversive in a way that gets a rise out of a culture that is so dominated by ennui. I mean, that's what I think was happening with those ads. The Oh, the Balenciaga ads. Yeah, the Balenciaga were... ads. What was really happening there? I mean, I think that to a certain part of like wealthy, let's say LA society, their lives are so dominated by ennui that it requires just like extreme offensiveness to get any sort of a reaction out of them. So I think that that's why they're engaging with that. But 
Now let's talk about the the other thing here because I think that there might actually be a something going on here. So when we were doing our sexuality book, one of the really interesting things about male sexuality is it's pulled between two extremes by itself. And by that, what I mean is as a guy, you can optimize for gender dimorphism, right? So you are assuring that the thing you're breeding with is female. So this is larger butts, larger breasts, larger fingernails, longer hair, more voluptuous shape, or you can be optimizing for fertility window. The problem is, is that you're actually typically optimizing for the opposite when you're optimizing for fertility window. You are optimizing for youth, which means you're typically optimizing for smaller breasts, smaller butt, smaller waist hip ratio and stuff like that. And so we looked at the data on this, and this is one really shocking thing that we found, is that the amount of wealth a guy had in our data set correlated with which of these extremes he seemed to optimize for. Well, now we saw this both in the research and in the data set that we got from the survey you created and ran. So I can yeah. quote from our book. You wrote, in addition, our data backs up a pattern that has been observed in other studies, that wealthy men prefer smaller breasts. This pattern is even more striking than we anticipated in our data. Not a single man in the wealthiest category of those taking our survey reported preferring a breast size above average, with around half preferring small breasts. Our survey respondents who reported being in the second highest wealth category reported preferring small breasts at a rate of 17% and a robust 84% preferred, for, sorry, 84% preferred breasts of average size or below. Contrast that with the lowest income category of men who took our survey who reported preferring small breasts at only 5% and the second poorest preferring them at around the same level, only 4% in this case. So there's a clear yeah, like I remember inverse one of the other here. studies you were talking about as well. It was done by like a website for like wealthy guys to find, I don't know, partners but yeah, so there's been a number of studies on this, and, and and you can see from our data, like this isn't a small effect. It's not like a oh, 20% here, 20% there. It's an enormous effect size. Um, so it would seem that maybe it's not even that people as much are like born being super turned on or we'll say sexually interested in youth versus female dimorphism. It is a product of your perceived sense of resource. Um, yeah, and well, and let's talk about evolutionarily why you would have this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you can only choose one partner, which is, throughout history has been true of most middle income and below men, even in even in societies where uh, a man can get multiple partners, the vast majority mm -hmm. of people in those societies didn't get multiple partners, right? So mm -hmm. you're choosing one potential partner. So you got to make absolutely sure they're female. Yeah. However, if you can just get lots of partners, which wealthy and powerful men could typically get throughout history, then what matters, especially so suppose you're a wealthy and powerful man, but then you're it's a, actually, okay. Suppose you're a wealthy and powerful man and you can either get only one partner or you can get lots of partners. If you mm -hmm. can get lots of partners, it doesn't really matter what you're optimizing for. You're just optimizing for volume. But if you can get one partner, because you can care for all of their offspring, right? Because wealth is not an issue for you. You could have 20 kids, right? You are going to optimize for youth when you marry that partner. Like yeah, that because it'll produce maximum number of kids, like biggest lifetime. For example, we just, we're, we're finally ready to like do chickens at our house, right? And we could either choose to get hens or we can choose to get chicks. And 
it, get, it, getting chicks, if we get chicks now, that means we have to wait until basically January before they start even laying eggs. So that's like a, a significant amount of time investment, wealth investment. We have to get the feed or do all the stuff for them to wait until they're ready. But then they will produce far more eggs over time, right? Like we're going to get more life out of them, more eggs out of them than we're going to get if we buy mature chickens. So maybe this is what's going on is, is like, if, if we were, like, even if we were like very resource poor in the moment, would we be getting a, an egg laying hen that we know is healthy enough and fat enough to immediately start producing yeah. either meat for us or eggs? Or are we going to get chickens that we have to wait forever until it produces anything that will sustain us? So, so yeah. So, and here's something really interesting. So I'm going to talk about something that happens in women and say, I think something similar might be happening here. Hmm. So one of the things we talk about happening in women is that women will typically prefer a partner who already has other women interested in them, mm. but they'll even prefer partners who are already married. Like they'll choose a guy who has a uh, ring over another guy because it shows there's other female interest in the guy. Mm. Well, you get this interesting phenomenon where like during concerts, and we've seen this throughout history. So you can see this going all the way back to, who is that mob guy who was the singer? Frank Sinatra. Uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, you see this with Frank Sinatra. You, see Wait, this you saw this with List, Franz Litz, the List, I can't, Listomania, the, the, the pianist, I believe. Like, yeah, yeah, so you see this back. Oh, anyway, Mozart, you you saw this was where women would start screaming in the room and then some of them would pass out, right? Mm. What is happening there? Well, what I think is happening there is women in general get more turned on by a guy as they think other women are interested in that guy. However, some women, a minority of women, like a small portion of women are born without the ability to downregulate this phenomenon. And so they essentially end up feeding off of the other women around them in their arousal to this group until it essentially overheats their brain and they pass out. Not exactly overheats their brain, but you get what I mean. It's like a, a sensory loop. overload. Yes, a sensory overload that causes them to pass out. Well, I think with most guys, when they get wealthy, they're like, oh yeah, I like small breasts, right? Like normal stuff, right? But there's a small portion of guys who they get wealthy and the system doesn't have a, a, an off meter on it. Hmm. And they're like actually interested in young people. And, and I think this group is, because this is the thing that weirds me out. I look at Jeff Epstein's plane list, right? And this is like a lot of celebrities, a lot of celebrities, like a lot of people who I'd heard of, right? And like, when I think about like the people who I've casually met, I do not see that many people interested in young people. That's just mm -hmm. not a thing. That's not like a thing among my friend groups. That is not a thing that I've ever thought about. Like, how is it possible that there's that many celebrities who are interested in this, right? So there's really only two things. One is, is that their, their biology could be adapting to their perceived level of power, which would really explain this. It would also explain why the media is so terrified about it getting out that this is actually happening. Hmm. Because even if they can't access these groups, this flip in their perceived personal power might have already happened. And hmm. they may secretly have these desires and they may have some like aspiration to enter these groups. Or what's happening is that it's useful for them in terms of growing and maintaining their power. Like it creates like these organic power groups that we've been talking about. Hmm. Either way, I actually think that both are probably happening at the same time. Yeah. So I guess my takeaway is, is I think that this is a real phenomenon, that there actually are real groups among some elite circles that are doing this. So there are two dynamics. One is that there appears to be a correlation between wealth and interest in youth. And two, that there appears to be this like 
dirty secret trust group like fraternity that is created through shared indulgence in socially toxic hobbies. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's a really interesting thing about this phenomenon, because we have a, a pretty wide access into what the elite in our society are doing, like much more than the, the average person would have through operating different secret societies, having, having gone to their stuff. I'd say that this desire is almost absent or completely absent from what I call the dissident elite. I just yeah. have not seen it in those communities. Those are the but communities. I, they don't, I don't think the dissident elite really feel powerful because they feel attacked by everyone. Yeah, they, they feel attacked. They're like more homesteady, more let me set up my bunker, let me get guns, let me get let me get farm, sustain my family. They're coming for me. Let's build a militia. Like that's their that's their dirty little secret, right? And not so much not so much well and maybe there's there's also a, a cultural more party element like an indulgent if no i think a little secret is that they tell the truth about what they believe and in our society that can get you so canceled so when i think about the dissident elite circles what do we all do we 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 sit around and we're like it turns out that certain parts of a human sociological profile are heritable and they're changing over time in the general population <laughs> you make it uh, sound like these are all old men who wear suspenders right, right, right. no 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 it turns out there's, there's that's like, not like, what they sound like this ever. offensive thing is actually probably true no no but what i'm saying is if that's how they organically bond in a way that can get everyone in these circles mutually canceled so they don't need to engage with this other stuff. Well, do you think it's it's more just like being sexually prudish as well that in, in these more progressive power circles where there are rumors of these these circles, it's more it's it's a much more culturally like sexually permissive and sexually deviant society versus the dissident right circles, which are much more sex negative. I, I guess I don't understand. I, I think that that's not it at all. I mean, the, the elite circles that we are in are very sexually permissive. On, on very, both sides? Yeah, on both sides. They're very sexually permissive. They, they are all into, yeah, I, I think that that's just wrong. I think what it is, is the way that they engage with subversiveness. These groups are engaging with subversiveness, like the dissident groups, in trying to make society better and trying to be honest and trying to tell the truth. That is how they, and, and by make society better, I mean, move it away from the dominant cultural group right now. I mean, they are yeah. fighting against the big bad. I mean, historically, that's what the Illuminati was. They were fighting against the Catholic church. They were a group of people who said, we don't like this group that's controlling our society right now. Let's fight against it. Mm -hmm. Right. The reason why they have to be in these secret organizations is because they're fighting the, the powers that be. The mm -hmm. people who control the powers that be, the people who control the, the media and what's true and academia, like this, this sort of monoculture in our society. If you're just going along with everything they're doing, then all you can really do is dunk on the amount of power you have over other people. And I can almost think of no bigger sign of that. Oh, then. Especially then, if you're a community, hmm. keep in mind, these people have almost zero fertility rate. So, I mean, where are they getting these kids, right? You are hmm. in a community where kids are a 
an extremely scarce asset. Yeah. Where as within our groups, oh, I also think this is another thing. I think within the extreme progressive groups, it's pretty common for these people to not uh, have their own. Well, and I guess it's so it's they, it's a lot harder to be interested. Do you think it's? I mean, I feel like parents are a lot more defensive of children, and you'd be a lot more like turned oh, off. Yeah, by yeah, this, absolutely. Right? So you talk about the dissident conservative mm. cultural group. Yeah, all, they're, they're all like parents. All parents. Yeah, you talk about doing something to harm a kid, you get a a, a knuckle sandwich pretty quickly. Whereas in these other groups, they don't have kids often. And so there's probably less of a perception of their inherent humanity. Mm. Oh, it's easier to dehumanize children in, in a culture where children are largely absent. Yeah. Creepy. No. Creepy. Yeah. And well, it's, it's definitely really happening. Anybody who tells you it isn't happening, Epstein. And, and, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. But once we got Epstein... It was handled. It's over. It's, it's handled. over. Once we arrested a meth dealer, the meth epidemic is over. And it's like, yeah, but didn't the meth dealer die mysteriously in prison? Couldn't that only have happened if this was still a phenomenon that was going on in our society and people <sighs> needed to shut him up? And they're like, no, that was an accident. They just needed to kill the one guy. And then it was all over. It's this, all this over. One. I, I, yeah. There, to me, is no more of a sign that this is still happening, that we still don't know what happened to Epstein. Mm. Well, <laughs> they're getting better at hiding it, I guess. That's well, hey, they they were good at hiding it for a long time before Epstein too. I mean, yeah, I guess he he was going for a, a good long time, a good um, long time with a lot of powerful people in our society. Yeah, pretty wild. Oh, that's um, hold bad. on, actually, I want to look this up. I'm just trying to see if if Jelaine Maxwell is dead. <laughs> I think she's still alive. Well, no, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I was just checking. Yeah, Elon was not on the Epstein flight list. And I think that shows the type of thing that we're talking about, right? And he's actually right now advocating for the DOG to do more to get the full list released, which is like, why hasn't the full list been released? Again, the 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 malevolent players are still in positions of power. And, and we have good guys out there. And it's important that, that just because we have one or two differences with them that we don't attack them, we're, we're all on the same side. We're trying to, to protect kids. Hide your kids, people. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. <laughs> I I just wives are safe. Apparently, I it is terrifying. Genuinely scary. Yeah. So no, no. I mean, this is really happening. This is really happening, and there's a number of reasons why it could be happening. But I think that um, what's interesting out there is I think that almost everyone engaging with this is either engaging with it as like pure speculative conspiracy theory, which mm -hmm. I think causes people to dismiss it, or they're engaging mm -hmm. with it as just like insane, like. You know, what I appreciate about this conversation is that it's a discussion of this issue from the perspective of <coughs> why would why would hum like normal humans do this? Because I think normally when it's discussed, it's like these these disgusting, terrifying monsters that you can barely imagine as human like that are doing things that you can't even possibly model. And what we're yeah. trying to say here is, OK, well, actually, like from a behavioral standpoint, there appears to be robust evidence suggesting that people who do have a lot of resources and wealth will find themselves attracted to youth at higher rates and signs of youth at higher rates. And that also there seem to be patterns at every level of society from like street gangs to, you know, the highest echelons of power to create these fraternities and trust circles around forbidden and highly illegal and, and destroying like career or life destroying things.
Right. When they're trying to normalize it now, it was like this whole map phenomenon and stuff like that. Minor attracted person. Oh, it's it's a new it's a new trend. But what I'm saying is the normalization of maps is definitely a thing now. Really? Uh, trying to make this a protected class in our society. And I don't I, I mean, anyone who is acting on this, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I see it as a slippery slip. You make it a protected class, right? They can find each other more easily. It could disempower them to an extent. But this group, I think, is just so entrenched right now. I, 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 I definitely would not say that they need to be, but... But you would never say that they need to be. No, 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 no. That's definitely not what you're saying. No, 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 no. They're a protected class. That's a really mean thing to say. Mm-hmm. You're um, definitely not saying that that people should. These people, in, but you'll just be called a conspiracy theorist. And that's and wrong. No, that's 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 definitely. Yeah, I wrong. mean that's doxing, right? That's not what we're condoning at all. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Well, you've got some chicks to feed. I've got some kids to pick up. Shall we reconvene downstairs? I am excited to. I love you, Malcolm. I love you too, Simone.